Samir and I have some friends who live out of town who recently their fridge went sort of on the fritz. And, and so they're like, maybe we should buy a new one. And, and most of us would say, yeah, I mean, if your fridge isn't working, you got to do something, right? And they had had it for about 74 years. They're an older couple, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but you know, it's like we're going to squeeze as much life out of that as we can. So they're talking to their financial planner and it comes up and like, hey, we're thinking about buying a fridge. And financial planner's like, yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. You, you can buy the fridge. In fact, you can get a new microwave and a new oven because what the financial planner knew was that this couple, older couple, had recently inherited over $5 million. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, but they were used to living with an old identity that they carefully weighed every purchase, that they didn't, you know, they found the scratch and dent, and it was like, we have to get a phenomenal deal, and until the supply starts on fire, you know. <laughs> and so, why do we do that? You know what happens? Sometimes we've lived with our old identity for so long that it's hard for us to lean into our new identity. You see, this couple, for them, millionaire was a new identity. They'd never had that before. They lived for decades without having much to go on. And when you've lived like that for a really long time, it's hard to live with. Spiritually, it's exactly the same way. When we've had an identity for a long time of brokenness and failure and I, I mess up and this is not the way I want to be, even when our identity changes and in Christ, we receive everything we need for a life with him. It's easy to revert to our old identity. We're gonna talk more about that today and why that happens, but you might say, well, what, what is our old identity? Our old identity, we said last week, is Team Adam. And even if you weren't uh, there last week, that's no problem. Um, we said there are a few things that every one of us, just by nature of being human, we're born into Team Adam, and here are the things that are true of us. Would you read those things under Team Adam's name? Would you read those things aloud with me? You ready? Guilty of sin, condemned, death wins, and fear looms. That's the identity we're born into. We need a rescue, right? And so Jesus comes into our neighborhood as God, and he comes and he, he sets us free. From Team Adam, he pays the penalty for our sin, he breaks the power of that, and he essentially says, you don't have to be on the team any longer, you can be on a new team, you can be on Team Jesus. And the amazing thing is it doesn't matter how long you're on Team Adam, how much you messed up, you can join the team that Jesus died for you to live on. And here's what we know about that, in Jesus we're covered by grace, we're made right with God our Father, totally forgiven. We're guaranteed life in heaven forever. A place that when you get there, you'll go, we get to stay here like forever? This is unbelievable, right? And Jesus coming back to life 2,000 years ago assures us of certain victory. All that to say the way of Jesus is exponentially better. You can live on team Jesus. But here's the question for those who have trusted him. Are we living into our new identity? Because you know what happens? 
It's easy for us to live like the couple I mentioned easier that we've lived for so long on Team Adam that we think, yeah, I don't know, I just can't, you know. We live in spiritual poverty. I'm not talking about financial riches. I'm talking about that, that when before Christ, we live in spiritual poverty. And when we put our trust in Christ, we get a new identity, a new team, and we receive everything we need to live the kind of life Jesus wants us to live when he comes and he lives within us. Knowing your identity, listen to this, knowing your identity as a spiritual millionaire, really knowing that shapes the way that you live. Let's turn to Romans chapter six. Let's see what Paul says about that. And uh, you can check it out, not only in a paper Bible, but the Bible app. By the way, I saw this week that the Bible app free has now been downloaded on 499 million 968,000, something like that. It's on my phone, but you can see it too if you have the Bible app. There are almost a half a billion people who have downloaded this app that just began, you know, probably 12 or 13 years ago. And also, if you go to our Grace app, you'll see the notes there for today's message. And uh, we're continuing our series, Identity Matters, How the Gospel Changes Us, Shapes Our Identity in a Way That Transforms the way that we live. I want to say just really glad to have you here. Those of you in our online community, very glad to have you here as well. Uh, and uh, let's, before we dig into God's word, let's just pray a moment. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, to realize just the wonder of what you've done for us. And Lord, thank you that we can gather together. Those who are online, Lord, you see all of us and Lord, we don't have to fear what might happen to us for engaging in worship and taking out a Bible and having communion. Lord, there are brothers and sisters of ours around the world in numerous countries, Lord, where for them to be caught doing this, they could face discrimination, loss of privilege or educational access, maybe imprisonment and even more simply because they name your name. Lord, we, we ask that you would pour out grace into their lives. Give them courage, Lord, beyond what they think possible. God, we pray for the nation of Ethiopia today. Um, a lot of conflict right now. We pray for wisdom and humility on the part of the leaders of that country, both the government and the opposition. Lord, that you would bring uh, just... Uh, resolution to this current crisis and that your people, Lord, would stand strong. Lord, you know the crises going on in our own lives. Uh, some here today, some who are in our online community are facing maybe a battle in a family relationship or someone at work. There's something going on right now, God, where there's just tension, maybe related to what's happened in this last 18 months in our country. Lord, we pray, would you give us your heart, your grace, your love, and, and to take this step, Lord, whatever step we're to take, uh, in a way that would bring um, about reconciliation that would honor you. And Lord, if that's not possible, would you help us to still not hold on to bitterness, uh, but to represent your heart in every relationship you, you've brought us into, Lord. Now would you teach us and help us to walk out of here with a greater sense of who we are, Jesus, because of you. In your name we pray, amen. 
You're going to see on the screen the five S's that we said uh, summarize the greatest uh, Cliff's Nose version of the Bible, the book of Romans, the 16 chapters, and you divide up into five S's. We talked about sin, that all of us are infected, this is the first three chapters, with this terminal spiritual condition that because of our relationship with the very first people who have ever, ever lived, that uh, we are born on a team Adam. We said we're condemned, we're, we have sin that has, has taken us down. And it's impossible for us to fix ourselves. But what's impossible for us, that's the second part, salvation, Jesus did for us at the cost of his life. That he comes into our broken world, he, at the, he, he goes to the cross, he dies, he rises, and he gives us his perfect resume to present to the Holy Father in heaven. And he takes our horrible resume and he says, I'll loan all your bad stuff, but here's my perfect resume. We present it to the Father and he goes, you're just as holy as my son. And we're saved. But the next part, that third word, sanctification, is that he's not satisfied just to save us and forgive us and to say, you're okay with my holy father. But he says, I want you to live into your new identity. I want you to become more like me. That's sanctification, that you are becoming more and more like Jesus, the person he wants you to be. So Romans chapter 6 is where that begins. And Paul starts by addressing a potential misunderstanding in verse 1. Here's what he says. Should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Let me explain this by going back to a guy who lived about 100 years ago in Russia. His name was Rasputin. He was a religious leader who had great influence in the Romanov family leading Russia at that time until the revolution came in 1919. And uh, Rasputin was this guy who had allegedly sort of healed the son of the, in the Romanov family, and so they gave him, like, access in the halls of power. And here's was his teaching. He said, you have a duty to sin. And he, he lived it out. He lived a morally reckless life. He said, here's why. Because the more you sin, the more you highlight just how grace-filled God is. And so you're actually doing a better job highlighting how wonderful God is than the person who doesn't sin a whole lot. Because they don't demand as much grace from God, and so they're not really highlighting how gracious God is. So sin as much as you can, and then God will show you his grace, and that's going to be amazing. Is that twisted or what? Yeah. yeah, that's really, really twisted. Let me just say, uh, that is, that'd be like you know, me saying, do you want to know how grace-filled my wife is? Yeah. Watch the way that I live, and you're going to see, you'd go, Jonathan, that is, I don't want to think about that. That is horrible. And you'd be right. Because it's presuming on a relationship where somebody has loved us and we're saying we love them in return. You go, you can never do that to somebody. So Paul responds with the strongest of language in verse 2. And here's what he says. He says, by no means. Should we do that? God forbid. May it never be. The Greek phrase is me genoita. Me genoita. Would you say that aloud with me? Ready? Me genoita. People ask what languages you speak. You can now say English and a little bit of Greek, you know. Meganoita. Other translations say, certainly not. What a ghastly thought. We would never do that to someone who gave their life for us, that we'd say, I'm going to sin more and wound the person's heart to show how grace-filled they are. That's crazy. We shake our heads at Rasputin and go, that guy was, wow, he was messed up. But before we too quickly absolve ourselves, how often do we sin tonight 
and bank on God's grace tomorrow. That we say, you know, God, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but, but I know you're a forgiving God, and you know, and, and so I'm just gonna go ahead and do this. You know, maybe it's my last time, but I'll ask you to forgive me tomorrow. I think we've all done that at times, right? I mean, at some point we're like, we banked on the grace of God in a way that took advantage of just how grace-filled he is. And maybe we even get frustrated with ourselves. We go, why do I seem to give in to the same sin time and time again? I put my trust in Jesus. You know what it is, what Paul would say here in Romans 6? He's gonna tell us, he's gonna say, it's hard for you to live into your new identity because you've lived with your old identity for so long. Does that make sense? You've been living as a spiritual pauper. You've been living in defeat. So for you to even consider living in victory and overcoming it, you're just like, nah, I just can't. God is grace. And he's going, no, that's not who you are anymore. You're not that person. Let's see what Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now that's sort of a little bit heavy right there. Let's just boil it down. You might be going like, oh my goodness, he lost me in the first verse. Um, what he's saying is this that when you put your trust in Jesus, you say, I'm leaving Team Adam. I know I was born a sinner, and I know that Jesus came for me. I'll never make it to heaven, never make it to God without Jesus. Jesus, I put my trust in you. He's saying this. He says, when you do that, you're united to Jesus. You're connected with him. You have a close relationship. It's, he talks about it being in Christ. If this Bible is Jesus, and this piece of paper is me, or you, when I put my trust in Jesus, I am in Christ, right? I'm whatever is true of this is true of me. So if I take this somewhere else, it, this paper travels with it, right? That if I drop this in a, in a pool of water by mistake, it's not just the book that's gonna get it, what's me gonna get what, right? Because I'm in Christ. Whatever is true of the book becomes true of me. He's saying, I wanna give an illustration that he goes, it's like baptism, when you're baptized, it's a demonstration that you're connected to Jesus. So here at Grace, we baptize by immersion. We put someone under the water. If we like them, we bring them right back up. <laughs> if we don't, three, four minutes. I've gone up to eight. No, I'm just teasing. What do we do? We're, we're putting them under the water. And we're saying what? We're saying we're, we're burying. We're burying our past. I'm identifying with Christ that when he died, I died the way I used to live. The Jonathan that just did whatever I pleased, lived with no guardrails in life, and if it feels good, do it, and I can live my own way. I don't need God. Thank you very much. I'm crucifying that. 
Symbolic of the fact, when I go under the water, I put that part of me to dead. That old Jonathan is gone. You come up out of the water, and it's a new life. You're resurrected like Jesus. When he came up from the dead, uh, he had a new body. It was a glorified body. He lived a life that would have great impact. By the way, we have a baptism service next week, uh, November 14th. If you've never been baptized, I, I want to encourage you, if you put your trust in Jesus, to take that step. It's something the Bible says Jesus asks of every person. In fact, he told his disciples right before he went to heaven, he said, uh, I would like you to go and help people around the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. Help them to follow me. And the first thing he says is to do what? Baptize them. Every single person, I want you to baptize them as a sign of their commitment, their public allegiance to me. To not be baptized would sort of be like saying, I join a team, like I, I've been uh, drafted by the Browns, but I, I really don't think orange and brown look good on me. So I'm gonna wear red and blue. Uh, and uh, you'd be like, that's crazy, right? If you identify with the team, you wear their jersey, right? That's symbolic of the fact you belong in that team. Baptism is your jersey that you belong to Team Jesus. And so uh, it, it's just a great way to publicly declare. And so next Sunday, you don't have to say anything at your baptism if you don't want to. And, but we would love to celebrate that step with you. But baptism, back to Paul's point, he's saying is this. When you put your trust in Christ, you are connected to Christ, united with him. You have a relationship with him that changes your identity. And when he talks about that, he mentions a couple of things, and, um, and he says this. Paul says in uh, verse 6, he says, We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ. And here's what happens when we do that, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. We all want that, right? We like to think of the... Um, Something in your life where you go, I know that dishonors God, and I shouldn't do it, but it's probably one of my weak points is that I, I get really, really angry, or I gossip, or I, I lust, or I drink too much, or whatever it might be. And what is it that, and Paul says, you know what, that, that's your old identity. He says, you've died to that, and you are no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because in Christ, when he died, he shattered the power of sin. And now you can live a new life. You don't have to give in to sin any longer. Doesn't mean that sin is no longer temptation for you or that it, doesn't, it ceases to exist. It just means you're no longer under its authority. Maybe you heard about the sailor who was, uh, he was in the uh, military and he has a captain who's horribly abusive. And this captain, colorful language, screamed, no matter what the sailor did, it was always wrong. And the sailor wasn't the only one. It was like everybody walked in eggshells around this captain because he was an idiot. And uh, just to put a, and, and so they would be like, you can't ever please him. And so, and it was just, it was a terrible experience. So the sailor comes to the day, finishes his tour of duty, and uh, he's honorably discharged. A few weeks later, he's in the town where uh, ships in port, and he's walking down the street, and he, and he sees there's the captain right there coming the other way and he's trying to duck out but the captain sees him and scowls at him. He goes, you gotta get back to the ship right now. And the guy slumps his shoulders like, oh, I gotta get back to the ship. And he starts, he turns around and all of a sudden he realizes, wait a second here. That guy no longer has authority in my life. I don't have to do what he says. I'm no longer 
under his thumb. That's no longer my identity. He is no longer my captain. I have a new identity. And instead, he held his head high. No, he didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> and he just walked the other way like, I don't have to listen. You know what? Paul says that's what happens to us. We have this old identity where we feel enslaved to sin. Sin is our master. It holds us under its thumb. And Paul says, when Jesus died and you identify with Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I put my trust in you, that you, you died with him. And the power of sin died as well. You no longer have to live like that. Again, sin is still present, just like the captain was still alive. Doesn't mean it goes extinct, but the power of sin is lost. Its influence is diminished. You don't have to listen. You're free. You can walk away. So here's what Paul says. In Jesus, you died to a life of sinning, but more than that, a relationship doesn't just mean you died to something, but you what? You live. You live a new life of adventure. And he goes on in verse 8, and here's what he says. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Friends, that's the best kind of living, a new life with Jesus for God's glory. That Jesus came back to life with great power, and where does he live today? When you put your trust in him, here's what Jesus tells us, Matthew 28. He says, surely I will be with you every Sunday when you go to church. Now, that's not what he says, is it? I'm gonna be with you when you have your devotions. He says, no, no, I'm gonna be with you always. I'm with you always. The power of the resurrected Jesus lives in you. How vulnerable is Jesus to giving in to sin? Not at all, right? He shattered the power of sin. So if he lives in you, he wants to give you a new life. You no longer have that old identity. Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know that you have a new life with Jesus? That means wherever you go this afternoon, let's say you're watching a football game with friends or you go out for dinner or Whatever, Jesus is going with you today. You put your trust in him. When you go to work tomorrow or to school or you're going to work out or you're taking a business trip or whatever it is, you're in a meeting, you're, you're taking Jesus with you. What does that mean? It's a life of impact and adventure and purpose and meaning from today until the day that you see him face to face. That means when we live with Jesus, he says, you live a life to God. Like Christ is with you. He's in you. And so when other people interact with you, he's saying, I want them to see my character in you, the fruit of the spirit, my spirit in you. So I want them to feel love like I would love them. I want you to be willing to listen like I would listen to them, to show compassion, to be willing to serve, to say no to yourself in order to say yes to somebody else, to be humble enough to, to not just talk about yourself, but to express interest in other people, to serve, to be generous, to say, God, what do you want to do through my life? You see, we not only die with Christ and bury our old identity, our old self, but we're raised to a new kind of living so that we can live our life with Jesus. 
Friends, that's our inheritance. And Paul says, you gotta know it. Remember my friends with the fridge? They had to change their thinking to say, we're millionaires. We don't have to live in this state of poverty anymore, right? We've been given, friends, it's the same. We don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to just go, oh, it's the way it is gonna be, whatever. He's saying, no, here's what Paul says in verse 11. He says, consider all this to be true. He says, consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Sin's power is gone. Christ lives in you. You have a new identity. And friends, when you have a new identity, it shapes the way that you live. So here's what Paul says. It's what you know. You know that your life is connected with Christ the moment you trust him and your old way of living is dead and you have a new life and adventure with Jesus. So it's what you know. Do you know that? Do you know you have a new identity? But it's also the way you choose to live. And here's where Paul ends this section here. Verse 12, he says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Let me just pause there. He's basically saying this. He's saying, based on who lives in you, Jesus, make a decision. Refuse to let sin have a foothold in your life. Don't let sin win. Like, you know this is true about you, that you have a relationship with Christ, that that you are in Christ, would Jesus go and, and sin like that? Would he have that kind of response to someone? I want to ask you, where would you say you're most vulnerable right now, this season of your life, to dishonoring Christ? Is there any kind of habit in your life right now? You go, I, I know that's one of those areas where I just do it and then I ask God to forgive me again and I know it's wrong and Part of it is just knowing where you're vulnerable. He says, don't give sin a foothold. If you know that late at night looking at the computer is not good for you, you gotta make a decision, right? I'm not gonna do that. If you know that there's a certain place where you go and you say, when I go there, I just, I drink too much. If there's a certain group of people, you're like, when I'm with them, I am not strong enough to pull them toward the right way, they end up, you got a tough decision to make, don't you? Paul says, not just what you know, it's the way you choose to live. And if Christ goes with you wherever you go, do you feel comfortable taking him there? Do you feel comfortable, let your eyes see that, your ears to hear this, your mouth to speak this? He says, don't give sin any foothold in your life. He goes on though, it's not just don't, don't do this, like don't let sin win. It's not just a negative, there's a positive. He says instead, he, he talks through this and he says, I want you to also do something. Give yourself to God every day. Here's what he says in verse 13. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer how much of yourself? Every part of yourself to him, for sin shall no longer be your master. You know what that looks like? He says every part. But I can say, Lord, all right, you said every part. Lord, my eyes are your eyes. I, I give my eyes to you, Lord. I'm not gonna look at things I know would dishonor you. My ears, Lord. I'm not gonna continue listening to things I know would dishonor you. Lord, my mouth, I, I get so sarcastic or I speak words I know, I gossip. God, I give you, I give you my mouth. 
Lord, I give you my mind. My thoughts sometimes go places. I have such bitterness or jealousy. God, I give you my mind. I give you my hands. I gotta give you, I give you everything. I give you my job. I give you my friendships, Lord. I, I give you my recreation, my finest, Lord. My, my whole being, Lord, every part of myself, God, I give to you. That's what he says. Why? Because you're not on Team Adam anymore. You're on Team Jesus. And when you're on Team Jesus, you, you give everything you have to him. You've got a new captain. You know, friends, we do this best in relationship with others, locking arms. Jesus didn't save us and me to be Jesus and me. We both agree and we live just the two of us together. He saved me to be part of a family. And we're stronger when we stand together. And that's why we have not just these gatherings, but we have Bible studies and small groups and Keys to Recovery and Galvanized, and we have counselors and all these places to say, we want you to lock arms with other people because you're gonna be stronger together to help each other to walk into this new identity that Jesus has given to you, that he died to give you. Let me close with this story. Bill Perkins, in his great little book, When Good Men Are Tempted, tells about an experience he had as a ninth grader. He was five foot, nine inches tall. He weighed about 130 pounds, all wet, which was really bad in the sense that he had a fellow student, Ron Compton, who was six foot three and weighed 230 in ninth grade. And Bill said, Ron's fist was almost as large as my head. The problem was that Ron, the big guy, didn't like Bill. And here's how Bill tells what happened one night. He says, one night at a party, Ron Compton arrived late. When he discovered I was there, he hunted me down. In a few minutes, he was calling me names and shoving me around like an idiot. I allowed him to coax me into the front yard where he said he was going to kill me. I did everything short of falling on my knees and crying like a baby to talk Ron out of beating me to a pulp. And I would have done that if I had thought it would save me. We were standing in the yard, surrounded by about 30 kids who were urging us to get on with it. Suddenly, a car screeched to a halt at the curb. A moment later, the door slammed and somebody yelled, Compton! I recognized the voice. It was my best friend, Mike Temple. Mike was the only guy in town bigger and meaner than Ron Compton. Before graduating from high school, Mike made the All-State football team twice as a fullback. Later, he played college ball at Oklahoma State. He was a tough kid and he loved to fight. Mike quickly pushed his way through the crowd, walked up to Compton, shoved him back and said, Compton, if you're gonna touch Perkins, you'll have to go through me. I felt a surge of courage and I stepped up to Ron. That's right, Compton, I said, and don't ever forget it. <laughs> Ron started whimpering about how he realized, didn't realize that Mike and I were buddies and he assured my friend Mike he would never bother me again. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. Friends, you have a new identity. When you were Team Adam, you were on your own, vulnerable, just stuck. You were under the mastery of sin, but you have a new friend, redeemer, master, and his name is Jesus. And he'll be with you wherever you go, and his power is always enough for whatever evil schemes come against you from the enemy. He can help me to win every battle and he'll never leave me. And he'll do the same for you. Let's take a moment right now, would you? And let's just 
present ourselves to him once again. Would you, would you pray with me? I'm just gonna ask you to bow your head for a moment. And I wonder what area of your life, when we say every part, that you need to say, God, that's this part right here. God, I present this part of my body or this part of my life, Lord, to you. I've been living in my old identity, and God, I wanna live into my new identity. I'm no longer a slave to sin, God. You're, you set me free. Maybe you're going, I, I don't think I've ever joined Team Jesus. I've never invited Christ to come into my life, and today, he would welcome you to do that, to say, Jesus, I trust you. My resume is terrible. I'll never be acceptable to you or to a holy God. But Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Ask you to forgive me, come into my life, Lord. I want you to make me new. I want to join your team. God, I present myself to you, every part of me. Jesus, I thank you that you never turn us away, not one of us. Your love for us is so great. We sang it earlier, Lord, you, you welcome us home even when we're so undeserving, God. Some of us have a new identity, but we've not been living like it. We're, we're living like we're spiritual paupers. So Jesus, today, we just invite you by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and help us to live into our new identity. Empower us. And may we live lives with Jesus, the Son that would honor the Father. We're all yours. Have your way in us, we pray. In the powerful, risen name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen, amen.